And welcome. Welcome to the No Name Yet podcast. That is the podcast with no name. And on tonight's show is Richard Moran. Not Rich Moran, but Richard Moran Sr., my father. <laughs> welcome. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. I just heard your phone in the background. <laughs> uh, supposed to mute our phones. No, I it's didn't do that. Other, it's in the um, other room. Oh, it's in the other room. <laughs> Sounded like it was right next to you. Yeah. So, um, this is the first time that you you're on the show. Yes. And uh, I am downstairs, and you're upstairs. Uh, yes, but we have one more upstairs. Yeah, there's <laughs> one more upstairs. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if uh, if if you follow the No Name Yet podcast or not. But um, at the the first episode of the third season, uh, I made an announcement that I am the village idiot. So I just want to give you a chance. If you don't want to do the show with the village idiot, that you could leave now. No, no, that's fine. Okay, all right. <laughs> and would you like to say anything to the effect that that was not genetic? Uh, it it wasn't genetic at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, as we were setting up, uh, you have a bunch of pills in front of you? Uh, just a couple. That, that's not even half of what it is. Uh, so how many pills do you take a day? Uh, I take, uh, let's see, five in the morning, and I take uh, probably six in the evening. Okay. And, uh, and that's something that you love doing, right? Oh, I just love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's keeping you alive well yes i wouldn't be doing this podcast if i didn't take those pills okay, probably. all right all right you grew up in schenectady yes uh in what the primarily the 50s and the 60s uh i was born in 1945 so yes so the 50s you did most of your growing uh, yeah, the first place I lived was uh, uh, in Schenectady. If anybody is familiar with it, that's watching the show was Rosa Road. Uh, and I was there for uh, 10 years. Then from there, I moved to uh, an area in uh, Schenectady called Woodlawn and spent most of my teen years there. And uh, what, what what was the occasion of you moving? Uh, we were able to uh, get a house. We were always uh, renting before that. Okay. We weren't moving or anything. We did have a, a two-family house that we lived in. Uh, the house is still there. The house looks in absolutely great shape. Hmm. Uh, but that's where I, uh, you know, from from the time I was born till uh, I was about 10, that's where I was. So did you live upstairs or downstairs? We lived upstairs. Okay. So you ran around and drove the neighbors crazy downstairs? Uh, yes, they were uh, an elderly Polish family. Uh-huh. Uh, 
uh, the person that owned the house uh, had the in-laws living there, and we were upstairs. So I don't know if uh, some of your listeners are even familiar with coal, but we were heated by coal. I used to watch the coal men come and shoot the coal down into the cellar. They had the coal, what they call coal shoots. Uh-huh. And we had piles of there, and that's how we uh, had our heat. We had to put the coal in the furnace. Oh, so you had to go down and shovel it in? Yes, and then when enough had burned off, we'd have to get the shovel and get the ash out of there so there was enough room for more coal to go in. So was there one furnace for the upstairs and one for the down? No, it was one for the whole uh, house. The whole house, okay. All right. Wow. That's something. Not, yes. not uh, convenient. Just a gas comes into the house and and the furnace does the rest. Right. Right. And uh, you told me a story of uh, what you uh, and your friends would do across the street from where you lived. Uh, which one are you on, pretending on, to? On top of the garages. Oh, gee. Gosh, I guess I can tell a story now. I uh, I can't be held accountable for it now, I don't believe. <laughs> but uh, my buddies and I, we all went to Catholic school. And uh, sometimes we weren't too happy with the Catholic school. And we went up on a garage and we were, for whatever reason, uh, ripping off shingles off the roof and throwing them off. And saying, there goes the Ten Commandments. <laughs> uh, and what happened while we were doing that is uh, two older teenagers uh, were sent out by uh, uh, the fellow that owned, uh, it was Netherlands Village is where this took place, uh, sent these two young fellas out to get us. And they did catch all three of us. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. And... Uh, we thought we were going to jail, uh, but all we did was talk to the fellow that owned the place, and he said, stay away from here. And uh, lo and behold, we did. <laughs> he gave you a break. He gave us a break, yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we explained to him why we were doing what we did, uh, which probably would have flabbergasted him. I'm not sure, yeah. but... Uh, you're, you know, you're expressing your animosity toward. Oh uh, uh, yes, and I was probably about uh, nine, nine or ten years old at the time. Uh huh. Now, what was it like uh, being schooled uh, by the Catholics? Uh, it it was okay. I had my good moments and a few bad moments. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to Catholic school for twelve years. Went to uh, St. Joseph's Academy, which was located in Schenectady. Uh, on Lafayette Street, which the school is now torn down, the church is still there. That's where I made my first communion, uh, was there. And uh, then after I moved to uh, Woodlawn, uh, I went to St. Paul the Apostle. Uh, and uh, So you were the we first were, graduating class, right? Yes, I was just going to say that. We were the first graduating class out of that school that went to eighth grade. And then we went on to Bishop Gibbons from there. Um, And Bishop Gibbons at the time, uh, 
brand new Catholic school. Uh, matter of fact, I was one of the altar boys uh, when they uh, 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 said their prayers or whatever over the school. The bishop was there, and uh, it was oh, one when of the, they what dedicated they the building. Yes, when they dedicated the building, oh, I was one I of the acolytes. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, it was myself and a fellow by the name of Bobby Boyle and another fellow by the name of Mike McGuire, uh, okay. two other good Irishmen. <laughs> so, uh, yep, we did that. And when Bishop Gibbons started, uh, they only started with the ninth and 10th grade. Uh, in the following year, they added 11th. And the following year after that, they added 12th. So uh, I played sports and... Uh, uh, we were playing uh, varsity teams when we were in 10th grade against seniors, which we had no seniors. Okay. Uh, at the time, we had no juniors. Uh, but, uh, yeah, as things went on and I became a senior, things got a little bit better as far as sports goes. As far So as, were you the first uh, graduating class of uh, Bishop Gibbons? No, we were second. Second? Okay. Yep. Yep. So uh, that was uh, that was my uh, Catholic school upbringing. Anyway, I so guess that's uh, you, you broke your wrist while you were playing uh, football. Football, and uh, yes. you like to tell everybody what your coach had you do. Uh, you probably remember better than me. I'm not sure what you weren't were... you supposed to wear some foam around your cast. Oh yes, yeah. Well, yeah. before I could play again. Uh -huh. After it somewhat healed, I still had the cast on, and I wanted to play. So uh, for me to be able to play, I had to have uh, all this foam rubber put around it. And we played a school in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, uh, that hadn't won a game in uh, three years. And we went up there to play, and uh, I got in the game as I was a junior at the time. Uh and I got into the game, and I got a handoff from the quarterback, and it hit the foam rubber. And my first play was I fumbled the ball okay. <laughs> because of the foam rubber. And uh, didn't so, your coach uh, have you take it off and give you no, instructions? No, I took it off. Oh, <laughs> I thought you. I thought your coach told you to hit people with your cast. Oh no, <laughs> no, no, no. No, oh, I don't know. He didn't. I, I don't know, but I wasn't supposed to take it off, but oh, I did okay. after right. I fumbled the ball. I don't so, know where that memory came from, but oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, along with uh, playing sports, you played football, uh, do you played basketball? Mm -hmm. Uh, did you do did you play baseball for the school? Yes, I played baseball. Okay. And then you also uh, did uh, theater. Yes, yes, which I really liked. Yeah. And we used to put a review on every year. Uh, and uh, it started out with a fellow from New York City. They had hired him to uh, to produce and direct the shows. And it, it basically it was a comedy skits and dance skit, you know, dance uh, skits and uh, we we had some pretty good singers and uh, a decent rock and roll band. And uh, the first and second year, I I don't know. I was a little shy to to uh, 
to be involved. Well, my second year, I joined uh, uh, the stage crew. And uh-huh. uh, and uh, what I was, I was up in the catwalk when the show was going on with the spotlights. And uh, as it turned out, I knew every dance and every line of the, the show. And in a way, I was sorry that I wasn't in it. But I didn't think I had a chance with uh, the fellow because he knew everybody at the time. Mm-hmm. Junior year, though, things changed, uh, and a, a local fella took over, a fellow by the name of Carmen Scarlata, which was, he was an absolutely super guy. He was in a lot of uh, the local theater groups, and uh, he was uh, the director and producer of the show, and for whatever reason, he took to me, and uh, I ended up getting some pretty good roles. I enjoyed it. I had some really good laughs. Uh, and, and that was a heck of an outlet for me. Oh, nice. Um, so, uh, growing up in the Woodlawn neighborhood, how was that? Uh, it was, it it was, uh, it was a little bit better than being on Rosa Road only because I had more people around me. Uh, uh, not that we were secluded, but there just wasn't as many kids that lived in the area uh in you know in on uh, rosa road okay. than uh than in woodlawn so it, it wasn't bad uh and and sports was the main thing that was you know we all got together played sand a lot the kids don't know what sand lot ball is i don't think anymore but we would uh we'd start uh early morning uh we'd play we'd play some baseball and then uh uh, we played basketball, and there was a uh, park, Woodlawn Park, uh, a swimming pool. We would swim, have lunch, come back, play basketball. Uh, and this would go on all day until uh, the lights went on and we had to be back home. Mm. So, and uh, so after after you graduated high school, how soon uh, was it that you uh, met your wife, my mother? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, probably three years, okay, maybe two and a half. Yes, uh, and uh, how I met her was, um, I, I guess at that time they would probably call me a hellion. Uh, but and let me let me go back a little bit. Uh, our background is uh, we didn't have a bad family life, uh, but we had we had no car. I grew up in uh, you know through my teen years without any vehicle. People were going here, going there. Uh, I'd have to bum a ride, or we just didn't go. Uh, so when I turned eighteen, I got a job. Uh, where I made enough money to buy a car. And that was the first car in the family uh, since uh, probably 1941. Mm. Uh, my dad went to uh, went to war. Uh, he was a Marine. And uh, when he got out of the service, he never uh, applied for a driver's license again. So we had, no, we had no car. And I don't think we probably didn't have enough money to buy a car. So mostly everything was traveling by bus or hitchhiking. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, I had gotten the car and I had uh, drove a little too fast and I lost my driver's license. 
and uh, there was a bowling alley not too far from us called Empire so, Lanes at the so, time. So what was what was a little too fast? Uh, the last time, uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> they said I was doing it 70 miles an hour on State Street in Schenectady, but I know I couldn't have gotten up that fast. But anyway... Uh, so uh, does that mean you were blowing lights too, or? Uh, no, no, no. It was a drag race, matter of fact. Okay. With a fella that I knew from uh, bowling, uh, he had a uh, Chevrolet that uh, was uh, uh, souped up, and I had a Chevelle that was souped up, and we uh -huh. took off at a traffic light and uh, ended up with a police car chasing us, and the next thing was. There was no driver's license. Okay. All right. So I would go to the bowling alley because it was close to my house. Like I said, it was Empire Lanes at the time. Yeah, Empire Lanes. And then after it went to Revere Lanes, which is now closed as well. But uh, my wife-to-be was 19 years old at the time, uh, was running the lunch counter. She had a heck of a business. She did pizzas and steak sandwiches and uh, egg sandwiches and uh, hamburgers and hot dogs. And, uh, and besides that, she was a bad looking woman. Uh, <laughs> and her dad, her dad was, uh, uh, he worked at the lanes. He took care of uh, the alleys, uh, machines, and he had a, a junior program, junior bowling program. And uh I had met my wife-to-be, which was Donna, uh, and uh, I said to him, I said, I didn't know that you had a daughter, and he said to me, he said, I didn't want you to know. <laughs> so he had a nice sense of humor, uh, but him and I got along, we got along good together, but that's where I, that's where I met my wife, and uh, uh, I I had just started. I had just started working at the GE at the time. Uh, I was working in a small motor and generator division, and uh, the first week I was there, the GE went on strike. Oh wow! Uh, so I couldn't work. I had no money. I had no car, and uh, this young lady, uh, she may probably felt sorry for me. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we. <laughs> We started dating, and she was driving. She had a nice little uh, uh, Corvair, uh, a two-door two, uh, two red Corvair, and uh, too bad we didn't keep that car. Uh, but anyway, she drove everywhere and used her money, and as things went on, we ended up getting married. And uh, so how soon after... Uh, did you were you a policeman before you were married or after? Oh, after, after, yeah. Had had that been a, a goal of yours or something that you found yourself in? I I wasn't happy uh, uh, at the G uh, being inside, working inside, and the smoke or whatever. I said, "Geez, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life." Mm -hmm. I went to a uh, local football game. Uh, Lytton High School was uh, uh, one of the high schools. The other one was Mount Pleasant, and that was a rivalry every year. And I went to see the game, and a fellow that I graduated from high school with, Chuck Serapilio, 
uh, he he had become a policeman in Schenectady. And uh, he talked about it and said, Dick, maybe you should think about that. Mm. So uh, I did. It sounded very appealing at the time. I took the exam and then I had to wait until uh, someone had called me. And uh, I had gotten a call from Niskiuna uh, first. And uh, they had hired a fellow that I went to high school with, too, who was a grade behind me. Uh, and the reason why they took him was he was a, a Niskiuna resident. I was living in Colony at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, so he got that job and I got a call from uh, Scotia. Uh, PD uh, to come for an interview, which I did, and the rest was history. Okay. And you worked there, what, 26 years? Uh, no, 22 and a half. 22 and a half. Yep. And how was that for a career? I, it wasn't bad. Uh, one of the biggest problems was uh, we were a small department, and uh, I had uh, become a senior sergeant. My next step was deputy chief. Uh, which didn't seem like it was going to happen in the near future uh, as the, the deputy chief and the chief were still young men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I got a little bored. Um, and besides that, I, I did have uh, some health health issues that uh, maybe drove me that way too. I had a heart attack when I was uh, 38. Um and uh, that that wasn't a good sign. So, mm. so anyway, uh, I made up my mind to uh, to leave. I could have left after twenty years, but I stayed a little longer, uh, and uh, made the decision to retire from there. So, uh, just just trying to imagine uh, maybe being a part of a big department as compared to being at Scotia. Um, and did you enjoy the community element of Scotia? I did. I, I did. At the time, it was very, very good. Uh, uh, Scotia is a, a neat place, I, I, I think, anyway. And, you know, you were brought up there, and, and mm-hmm. your sister, Gina, she was brought up there. You both went to Scotia Glenville. And uh, I, I, th- I thought the community was pretty good, you know? Yeah. So... Hey, we've been here for, uh, well, since 1969, uh, we've been Scotia residents. Yes. Yeah. And um, so uh, any any stories that stand out to you uh, that you might want to share from uh, policing? <laughs> that... there, there, was, there was some chuckles at times. I, mean, I remember uh, that stand- uh, you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, the uh, the one that stands out is uh, we had stopped a fellow one night for uh, a, a drunken driving DWI, and he was uh, he was deaf. He could not hear, and uh, just trying to communicate with him. And uh, he, uh, the only thing I said, do you need anything from the car? Because we were towing the car. And he wrote a note and said, I just want to get my bowling ball because I have to bowl in a tournament tomorrow. Uh, That was his big concern. Uh, But further on with that, finally, when we were all done uh, uh, giving him uh, the breathalyzer tests and 
and writing the tickets and how you know, we let him let him go on his own recognizance. But he lived in Amsterdam. So I had called uh uh my not Montgomery, uh yes it was Montgomery Sheriff's Department to see if they could meet me uh halfway between Amsterdam and Scotia and take this fellow home. And uh the fellow said, sure, no problem. So uh, anyway, they came to pick him up, and uh, they asked me where he lived, and I said, he'll tell you. And I drove <laughs> away. <laughs> and I got a phone call later on uh, with a few choice words, uh-huh. you know, thinking that I was a comedian. <laughs> so they had to figure out that, one, he was deaf, and two, they had to communicate yes. by <laughs> note. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was a little chuckle at uh-huh. the there, there was, there was some, there was some good, good times and and some bad times. Yeah. At the time when I first went to Scotia, there was uh, uh, eleven bars within uh, one square mile. Uh, that's pretty much about how big Scotia is. Uh, I think we had like seventy five hundred people that lived in the in the village. Uh, the one good thing about a smaller department was that we had to do everything. There was no detectives. Uh, you know, no youth aid. It was, you know, we we handled everything up until we couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had a couple serious cases where we had to have the state police come in. Uh, but uh, normally we we handle everything. So, which was good. Uh, the other departments, so you hand the person over to this person and then that person goes to the next person that deals with whatever. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, you're pretty rounded. Let's put so, it that way. So you got to do patrol and detective and uh, community outreach. Service. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you, you talk about all the bars. Um, yes. That, uh, you know, at one point that I worked at as a police dispatcher for another department. And um, they, had, they had a map uh, of uh, uh, one of the, the state routes. And um, the green push pins were the uh, property damage accidents, and the red push pins were the fatal accidents. Okay. So this is a this is a, a map from about the same time that you were working, and uh, this one particular route was all red. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so I know that you were active in. Uh, at the time that they were uh, passing legislation to further criminalize drunk driving. Yes. And uh, uh, can you just talk about that transition? uh, What the, say, the societal atmosphere toward drunk driving was beforehand and and how you see it it change after these efforts were being made? Uh, there, there was a lot of uh, drunk driving, and it was also uh, driving with drugs. Uh, that uh, you knew the person was high, but there was no tests for 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 drugs. Uh, I I think that uh, uh, when they were, when they passed legislation, because before I I believe that it was a uh, if you were driving with uh, 0.10% alcohol in your blood, that was a DWI. 
Uh, and uh, I just didn't think that it, that was high enough or low enough. It should have been lower, okay. uh, which they have, which they've changed. And uh, uh, I I think it, uh, it may have uh, hurt uh, the bar establishments a little bit because people did start to take it to heart. Uh, there's not too many bars now in this area that uh, after two o'clock are open. Uh, sometimes uh, not even till midnight. Uh, so it, the legislation, I think, did did help. Uh, you know, save save lives. Uh, I was involved in a couple of fatalities, but I was also involved in a couple of real bad accidents where people hadn't passed away and they were drug uh, drug or alcohol related. Mm. It just seems I don't know that... if that answers your question or not. Uh, it, it does to a certain point. Uh, uh, well, and I, I think you did answer it in that. Um, just I think thinking back and in, in the way you talked about the things that you did handle, say you know, because uh, the town of Glenville didn't have a big department at the time. So uh, if I remember right, that you would go out on Route Five or up Route Fifty sometimes if there wasn't a policeman to go? Yeah, we would back them up or uh, even handle the call. Okay. Uh, you know, when I first went on to Scotia, uh, Glenville only had one policeman, and that was the police chief that worked days. He was a retired uh, uh, state policeman, uh, and that was it. There was nobody else out there to protect uh, the town of Glenville. Okay. So, um. And it just seemed that there were a lot more, and forgive me for putting it this way, gruesome crashes um, before the uh, DWI legislation became more strict. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, there's still a law in Scotia that you can't park on the streets from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, and uh, the main reason was because they used to have a street cleaner that uh, the machine that uh, would come and clean the streets and they didn't want cars out on the streets. But it helped us a lot by the cars not being on the street, getting struck by another vehicle that uh, maybe the driver was intoxicated. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so, you know, it was twofold, threefold maybe that uh, that, that law was in place and it still is. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it, it, it just seemed uh, uh, from the stories that you uh, shared that uh, people were a lot more willing to go uh, fist to fist with policemen back then. Uh, it, it all depends on, on who it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I can't say how it is now. You know, uh-huh. I, I just I've been away from it for so long uh, uh, that I I really couldn't tell you. I mean, the, just our our regular dealings. Uh, we were pretty lucky because, like I said, we were a small department. We didn't have too many people to be out on patrol. Sometimes there was one policeman in the police station answering the radio and phones. Mm-hmm. And the other fell out in the car by himself. Yeah. So if there was a domestic uh, uh, complaint or a bar fight, uh, you know, I got a little hairy. 
but so you had to use your wit to, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, to try to get out of getting hurt. Okay. So, and we were able to. Because you got times. banged up a couple of times. Well, a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. And uh, uh, you recently told a story uh, about uh, responding to somebody's house and you tried to uh, scare uh, somebody, I think, out of the uh, refrigerator or something like that. Oh, no, <laughs> no. It was a it was an older couple. The fellow calls and, and said, geez, I'm having trouble with my wife. She thinks there's uh, things in the bedroom and uh, uh, that they're under the mattress. And uh, so I went up. I didn't know what that guy was going to do. Uh, I went in the bedroom and I, I got her name from the husband and was talking to her. And I said, where are they? And she says, they're right under the mattress here. They keep poking me. And uh, so what I tried to do, which as it worked out, didn't work. I grabbed the mattress, pulled the mattress up, and started screaming at these people underneath the mattress to get out of there. I said, get out, get out. I said to her, they're gone. And I put the mattress back down, and she was still in the bed. And she says, they're still there. (laughs) So so I just looked at her husband. I said, I'm sorry, and there's really not much more. That I could I could do. So, so we had things like that. That after you think about them, they were a little chuckle. They were sad, uh-huh. uh, yeah. you know, that you couldn't help a person further. Well, there's not much that you can do uh, a lot of times with uh, mentally ill or people with dementia. No, no, that wasn't. Yep, there was no programs or anything at that time. Yeah. So, uh, so, so we'll have to do this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, uh, I think we've just hit the half hour mark, and I've been trying okay. to shorten these uh, podcasts. And okay, uh, but uh, would 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 you like to uh, share how how your Christmas was this year? <laughs> Christmas was pretty good this year. Everybody seemed to be uh, healthy. Uh, we were able to get together on Christmas Day, uh, yourself and uh, and uh, our daughter, Gina, and her family, Anthony and Spencer and uh, Melissa. Uh, and uh, we went over to their house after for uh, Christmas dinner. Uh, the night before, we had Christmas Eve, the uh, uh, Feast of the Seven Fishes, which has been going on forever. Yeah. It was going on before I met your mom. It was uh, since 1955. 55, okay. Yeah. And uh, yep, we have the seven fishes. Now, I let's see if I can remember. We had anchovies. We had cod. Uh, we had uh, shrimp. We had scallops. Uh we had smelts. Uh, what am I missing? Clams. Clams. Yep. So we had clams. Yep. And there's one more. Uh, I, was there one more? What was it? Um, did you say the you, bacala? I, I didn't say bacala. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. 
But anyway, that was very good. Uh, uh, that was the first time since uh, the pandemic that we could get everybody together. Together, and that ended up being, I believe, eighteen people. Uh, and uh, that's that was a nice night. The weather was good for us to be able to drive and you know get there safely and get home safely. Uh, it was uh, basically a very, very good Christmas. Amen. It was a nice Amen. Christmas. Amen. Now, yes. And if you want me again, because we haven't even touched, we haven't even touched me yet. Well, I know. <laughs> I know. So it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be uh, uh, at least a two-parter. Oh, yeah. We just went to the first 40, 46 years. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> But uh, so, uh, before we go, I just wanted I wanted to come up with a Christmas story, and I I, uh, uh, I wasn't able to come up with a Christmas story uh, that I I liked. Uh, but I just wanted to read you this uh, this story, uh, just see what you thought about it. Okay. So I will just imagine it. Uh, well, it this was printed on December twenty ninth, so I guess it could be considered a Christmas story. Christmas story. Yeah. So I'll just start reading it. A woman in Australia got quite the wild surprise after mixing up her golden retrievers pretend Tasmanian devil plush toy with an actual real devil. Oh, on Wednesday evening inside her home in Hobart, Australia, on the island of Tasmania, Kirsten Lynch went to reach for what she thought was her pup's trinket when it suddenly raced away. I went to reach for it, and the devil shot underneath the couch, she told the Guardian. The Tasmanian devil is the world's largest carnivorous marsupial, according to the National Geographic, and it can grow uh, around the size of a large house cat. <laughs> Utterly shocked, at her discovery, Lynch let out a scream that woke up her family who rushed to see what caused the uproar. And I think that's enough of the article to read, but I yeah. just want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to show you, I want to show you the, the picture of uh, the Tasmanian devil. I've never I've seen a picture of a Tasmanian devil, but there it is. Oh my gosh. It looks uh, like a very angry rat. Yes, yes. Hey, and one thing you didn't do either. What's that? You, got to show, you have to show your shirt. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Yes, but that is a mean-looking animal. And uh, what if uh, you saw one of those uh, in our house? Uh, I'd probably tell everybody to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully... So Leave the doors open and it goes away. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, in one of the episodes, uh, uh, I think it was uh, with the worst guest ever, Alex without the E, we uh -huh. were talking about fissures and uh, uh, that uh, they, they are found around this area and uh, what ugly and dangerous creatures those can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as my father said, I'm just going to put down the camera here that uh, if you can see the No Name Yet podcast t-shirt, 
And that was given to me by uh, my sip kid, Spencer. So we might be looking at uh, the No Name Yet podcast having some merch at some point. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for being on for this first episode. Okay. And uh, we enjoyed it. All right. And we end the episode the same way every time with a prayer. So let us pray. Father God, I think that my father was uh, able to come on the No Name Yet podcast and that, Lord, uh, there is a lot more story to tell. So, God, I thank you for his willingness to tell his story and uh, thank you for being my dad. So, God, I ask that you bless him, uh, that you do keep him healthy and that you do keep him happy. And I pray this in Jesus name. And also, Lord, I ask a blessing on each and every person listening, and I wish everybody a very happy new year. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good night. Good night.